right, everyone. Good to see you. How are we all doing? Good, good. Oh, I'm feeling good today. I felt that. I felt, thank you so much for leading us in worship earlier. That was so good. I felt excited to be talking today. Um, so, as Ben said earlier, we are continuing our series on spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, the habits we form which take us deeper in our relationship with God. Um, and I, before I start, I should just say, I'm Mike. I'm one of the uh, team here at HT. Um, and before we kind of go any deeper with that, that's been sort of title of our series. I just want to recap, what does that actually mean, to go deeper with God? Because in one sense, when we become a follower of Christ, when we receive him as our savior, we are as a deep in with God as we can possibly be. The Bible talks about us being united with Christ, so we are like tied together. There's no separation there. We are completely united with God. So why do we talk about going deeper with God? Well, the thing is, is we aren't changing anything on God's side. It is changing things on our side. It's about our openness, our willingness, our, um, the time we set aside to engage with God. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today as we talk about different spiritual habits. It's about living in the spiritual truths of our unity with God every single day. It means being so rooted in God that when the storms of life come, we continue to trust in him. It means that when life gets hard, when things don't go the way we want them, we know God well enough to say his plans and his purposes for my life are always good. A deep relationship with God is like a well which you can go to draw water, which will bring life to your friendships, to your relationships, your parenting, your work, your home life, to every situation. And that's what we're going after today. But I want to get you thinking, as I always like to do a question, get everyone talking a bit. And I want you to discuss this with the people around you. The question is, if you could eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Okay, so turn to someone next to you, say, what would the, ask them, what would the one food be for the rest of your life? Okay, anybody want to shout out this? Anyone really confident in their answer? God, Jill, I heard you all straight away. What is it? Roast beef every day for the rest of eternity. Wonderful. Anyone else? Pasta, yeah, versatile, nice, okay. Anyone else? Mashed potato, yeah, solid, love that, okay. I reckon, I always just think, you know those party rings you get? They're like little pack of party rings. I always used to say that I reckon I could eat an infinite amount of those. I mean, if we're going to sell everything, okay. <laughs> I mean, the, question, the thing about that question is that we kind of acknowledge that whatever food, however much we love it, if we were to have it every single day, eventually we'd get bored of it, and then eventually we'd get pretty sick of it. It's kind of true of everything in life, isn't it? We want things, we think they'll satisfy us, um, but when we get them, they don't. They don't offer that thing where you can fully trust and rely on one thing. So we end up thinking, oh, I must need more of them to satisfy me, or I must need something different, I must need some change to satisfy me. And the verse that we're looking at today, so we've looked at that verse in Revelation where it talks about the river of life, this unending flow of God's provision and his love for us. But I also want to look alongside that. These are the two images we get which are very similar and held often together in John 6.35 where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Can we get the slides up? Is that? Yeah. yeah, okay, so it says, I am the bread of life. This is Jesus talking. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And I'm hoping that the one thing that we get out of this morning is that that verse is true. That Jesus is the bread of life, and when we come to him, he will satisfy us. That Jesus is the bread of life, and that when we come to him, he will satisfy us. And as part of this series on spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, looking at the habits that we form that help us go deeper with God, we are going to be looking at the discipline of fasting. Now, fasting is deliberately going without food for a period of time as part of deepening this relationship with God. Now, but remember, even though we're talking about fasting, what we're really talking about is Jesus is the bread of life who, when we come to him, will satisfy us. So keep that in mind. Because I know there will be people here who have um, complex relationships with food, uh, who have complex situations that mean fasting might be a different challenge for them. But the statement holds true that Jesus is the bread of life. And I'm excited to talk about fasting because I believe it's one of the gifts that God gives us to explore this truth and settle it deeper in our hearts. So one of the biggest questions that every Christian faces at some point in their life is, is Christ enough? Now, just to illustrate this, about three months um, going, into, um, going out with my now wife, Amy, um, I remember being pretty matter-of-fact, thinking, yeah, this is the one, this is it, We're gonna, it's going to be all right, I want to marry this one, okay? Now, she took a little bit longer to, uh, to agree, um, um, but yeah, after, and, and we got married a few years later, and after being sure all of this time, there was this one afternoon on our honeymoon where I suddenly felt this, the gravity of what we'd done hit me hard. I was like, this is it. I am committed to the rest of my life to this one person. You know, this, this is a big deal. I had to go off for a walk around the hotel. We're in this nice hotel. And um, I had to go off on my own for a bit. And the questions going around my head, well, am I going to be happy? Is this one relationship going to be enough for me? Is this one person going to satisfy me? I look back on that moment as this big existential crisis where I wrestled with the meaning of love and life and purpose. Amy remembers the story a little bit differently. She says, I, uh, I went off to the pool in a bit of a mood and then came back less than an hour later, um, beaming, having found mini golf in, in the hotel, <laughs> coming back holding these two clubs, going, they've got mini golf. So it seems for me, all I need to have an ex existential crisis is, you know, is mini golf. So that's quite helpful. Um, but the same way when you become a Christian, at some point you ask the question, is Christ enough? Is this relationship going to satisfy me? Am I going to need something else? And I remember when I, when I became a Christian, even at a young age, it was largely because I could see that there was something in me that was never going to be satisfied by the things of this world. Like even, I think at a young age, you know, young people, they get that. They look around at the stuff they've got and they go, well, like, it doesn't matter how much that, you know, fame, I know it won't ultimately satisfy me. They have this, th we have this awareness in us that that's not really what's going to make us happy. It's attractive. It draws us but it's ultimately not going to be the thing that wins us over. So we look at things like, and I knew for me, money, family, status, sex, these things were never going to be the stuff that ultimately made my life meaningful. We eat and we get hungry again. And we learn very early on that our appetites are never satisfied. Except at the same time, we live in a world that teaches us otherwise. Companies bombard us with advertisements, selling us products with the promise of happiness. Your boss gets you to work late with the promise of a promotion that will supposedly satisfy you. Our friends boast about their incredible holidays, and we think, maybe that's what I need. We see perfect-looking families and think, oh, if only I could be like them. Even though we know deep down it won't satisfy, we fall for these tricks again and again. I know I do. 
So when Christ says, I am the bread of life, those who come to me will, will, will be satisfied, it's not surprising that we think, oh, is this just another promise that's too good to be true? And when we have much louder, much more invasive voices telling us that they are the bread of life, that they will bring us satisfaction, the question come, we come back to is, is Christ enough? We have to start thinking, is Christ enough if I don't ever start a successful business? If I don't ever become a famous musician? If I can't afford to go on holiday every year? If my kids don't go to the school I want them to? If my house is smaller than my parents' house? If I don't get married, if I don't have kids? If I don't achieve fame and fortune? If this doesn't pan out the way I expected it to, is Christ enough? When he says, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's not an easy thing to believe that statement, but when we get it, it offers us incredible freedom from the allure of this world, and it gives us a sure foundation for our relationship with God. Which is why we're talking about fasting. Because fasting is one of the ways we can explore this truth, settle it in our hearts. But what I want to do to start is to go through three things that fasting is and then three things afterwards that fasting isn't. To help us get our head around it, because I think there's a lot of stuff we, we build up around this which isn't particularly based on the Bible. And it's and maybe based on a bit on culture and things like that. So I want to get our head around it. So firstly, fasting is always about worship. The preacher John Wesley said, first let fasting be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on him. Let our intention herein be this and this alone to glorify our Father which is in heaven. So we often think about fasting being a spiritual discipline that helps us, but actually first and foremost, fasting is like an act of worship. In the same way that we get up and sing, we don't expect to sort of necessarily always be transformed by singing. Singing is our expression of love to God. In the same way that after a meal, you might say, or someone provides something for you, you say thank you back to them. It's almost like an impulse. You're not saying it to get anything. That's just the, re the reaction. Fasting is a reaction to God. It's a way of worshiping. Um, so it's good to get that as the primary thing. Before we go into anything else, we're not trying to get anything out of this. We're not trying to win anything. We're not trying to achieve anything. We're worshiping God. So that is the primary thing. And, once, and only really once you fix that as, as something you're content with, do we start to see the other things that fasting provides and other ways it affects us. Um, one of it is a secondary benefit of fasting is it highlights to us the things that control us. As I said, we all believe the tricks of this world about what will bring us happiness. And fasting has this incredible power to cut right through that and highlight to us where we're going wrong and how we can recenter on God. When we're caught up with other desires and other things that attract us, just taking that day of say, choosing not to eat for a day, it's amazing how quickly you realize your heart and where your desires are at. And thirdly, fasting is a means by which we see breakthrough in the spiritual realm. Is the way we see breakthrough in prayer. Now, that is one of those wonderfully grand statements, but um, it's incredibly powerful. In my experience, there is something about fasting which aligns us so well with God and his will that our prayers take on like a new potency, and we are much more likely to see them answered. In my experience, this is particularly true when we talk about guidance. If I've got those big questions like, God, what do I do next? Where do I go on this journey? How do I live? How do I respond to this person? Taking a day to fast where you say, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna not going to eat, but from, you know, I'm going to miss out two or three meals, and I'm just going to focus on prayer and spending time with you. Very quickly, you start to see the impact of um, your, your prayers suddenly, and your, um, you feel like you have a much better sense of what God's saying to you. So God gives us prayer and fasting as gifts to see, um, to see our way through. So those are just a few things about what fasting is. 
But what about what fasting isn't? Okay, so firstly, fasting, if we just skip to the next slide, fasting is not a diet. I've heard lots of people talk about the benefits of intermittent fasting. Okay, I have friends who want little 5-2 diets, and they try all these things. And um, you know, it's a bit of a cultural fad that we're into at the moment. And we can see it as if God's given us this spiritual discipline, but he actually has some secret health benefit for us. And, now, and I think it's actually worth dismissing that idea, because in my experience of fasting, I generally get headaches. I feel pretty uncomfortable. I get pretty grumpy and miserable from having no caffeine and no sugar. And so, like, I don't know how good fasting is for me in that moment. But the point is, regardless of whether fasting offers health benefits or not, even if there were no physical benefits, and I, again, I know there's plenty of science that says there probably are, but even if there were none of it, that's not the point. Fasting is about going deeper in our relationship with God. And if we do it with that, the hope that we'll lose a few pounds, then we're missing the point. So first is fasting is not a diet. Secondly, fasting is not a hunger strike. It's not a way to twist God's arm. It's not saying, like, if I do this spe- specific type of prayer and I fast, God will answer my prayers. As I said before, there is a link between fasting and prayer, but most of it is about us aligning with God. When we stop getting distracted by the things of this world, we suddenly start to hear God's voice clearer, and our prayers start to li- be in line with him. Um, so that's one of the great things about fasting. It's, yeah, it's, it's not a diet. It's not a hunger strike. And then thirdly, fasting is not easy. And neither is it really meant to be. Most of the times, as I said, I fast, I get headaches. I get incredibly grumpy. I usually get to the end of the day and having not had any caffeine, I end up like crashing and being like six o'clock. I'm like, I need to go to bed. Um, Very rarely do I get to some moment where I can reach some spiritual epiphany where I suddenly go, ah, that's what God is teaching me today. And I'm just glowing and joyful and you know, and it's all great. It's that's that's not the the physical response. Our physical response is, is our body. It's what it takes when Caffeine's gone, sugar's gone, food's gone. Um, But the idea is that our spirit is always growing deeper with God in that process. Um, And that's what we're here. So for me, I'll happily put up with the discomfort um, if it means getting to know my Savior better. I think that's one of the things we've got to think about when we come into this. Because I think one of the reasons we often get put off fasting, I know a lot of people, is because the first time they try it, it's a bit uncomfortable and it's a bit painful. And I'm like, yep, absolutely my experience. And, And for that to be the thing we go, therefore it's not good, isn't necessarily true. So it's worth thinking about that. Um, One of the incredible things about the Holy Spirit in our lives is that it turns all things to worship. So if you look at something like communion, where when Christ sat down with his disciples after a meal and he said, this is my body, eat this in remembrance of me, he gives us this emblem, a symbol that every time we eat and we drink, we are reminded of Christ, the bread of life. Every meal becomes a reminder of our salvation and we eat it in gratitude to Christ. But at the same time, in fasting, when we refuse to eat, the Holy Spirit works in us. What we're really saying is, I love the reality. I love Christ even more than the emblem. Both are beautiful acts of worship, that which God loves. But people choose to fast. Desire for God becomes so great that ordinary food just isn't cutting it. Now, you might be thinking, that's just not where I'm at. Like, and I, I definitely think this is most of my experiences. Like, I love God, but I don't wake up in the morning thinking, you know, oh, my desire is so great. It's overwhelming. I can't even, I don't even want food. I'm not that way. You know, I'm happy taking over. I come to church on a Sunday. I pray when I've got problems, but I don't actually feel that great sense of desire that you talk about. And I, I, I resonate with that. That's, you know, that's not my experience every single day. But I was really struck reading a book called um, Hunger for God by John Piper. Where he writes a lot about fasting and about our relationship with God. And um, I would very much highly recommend it. He says this. It's up on the... Up on the uh. He says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, and by that he just means um, 
God's experiencing God in the present, the, the greatness and amazing wonder of God experienced in the reality of our lives. It's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our souls are stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. And I think there are moments for all of us where we need some sober reflection. You know, we live in a pretty affluent country with a lot of comfort available to us. Could it be that we have nibbled at the table of this world and we've tried to satisfy ourselves with small things? TV, the you know, games, everything that kind of thing we think, oh, if I can get enough of those things, they'll satisfy me. But these things that will fall away and ultimately leave us dissatisfied, and what they've done to us is they've left us with no room for the great things of God. Fasting stops us filling up on the things that were designed to point us to Christ and instead makes us hungry for Christ alone. The last chapter of the Bible that we looked at it talks about the great river of life that flows forth from Christ himself. And it follows on by saying, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. God has given us this great appetite. And we can keep trying to sate it with the things of this earth, but we will always be left unfulfilled. But from Christ comes this inexhaustible, unending river of life that satisfies us right to the very core of who we are. And so in love and with a desire that all of us will reach a deeper relationship with God and over time find a deeper hunger and therefore a deeper satisfaction in him, can I recommend to you to attempt and try the spiritual discipline of fasting? Some of you may well do it as part of your weekly thing, you know, generally, um, yeah, but it may be something you've tried already and you found it hard. It may be something you've never, ever tried before. It might be something that, you, you know, you do try regularly, intermittently and stuff, but I w- would love to sort of give this opportunity to you to try this. You know, there are benefits of fasting other things. I know for a lot over Lent, a lot of people do things like social media, TV, sex, chocolate, all sorts of things, but they can have some benefits, but I would really recommend the biblical language around fasting is around food. And, um, and I believe there's something incredibly profound when we respond to this. It is a gift God gives us, not a command. But for that reason, how much more valuable is it to us? Um, as a practice, just to make it a bit more pragmatic, because I think it's lovely, this theory, but sometimes the sort of practical stuff is quite helpful. I would recommend one day a week, something to try. But you could just try by starting missing breakfast or breakfast and lunch and then sort of work up to maybe doing a full day um, in what we see in the practice of the early church, they used to try. They used to fast twice a week. Um, and I'm aware of people who fast for two or three days at a time. These guys did it at different times. Um, I think it's okay to be pragmatic about this. It's about your heart and your relationship with God. Um, as I said, I know for me, I keep getting headaches from caffeine withdrawal. So one of the things I did was I've started reducing how much caffeine I have at the other times so that I don't have that problem now. And little practical things like that just suddenly make it a bit easier. Um, I haven't cut down the sugar yet. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's the next step. We'll get there. Um, um, but yeah, there's lots of little considerations I would say about being practical. And one of the things I would say is if you are really wanting to try this, just come and chat to me and we can go through some of the practical stuff that make it a bit easier. I'd rather me go through it all now. Um, but yeah, it's, I wanted to end having thought of all that stuff and gone to sort of a practical element to it. I wanted to end by looking at this quote from uh, that John Piper book. And it's quite wordy, so stick with it. Um, I'll just put the sort of second half up on the screen. But it starts off with, One might think that those who feast most often on communion with God are least hungry. They turn often from the innocent pleasures of the world to linger more directly in the presence of God through the revelation of his word. And there they eat the bread of heaven and they drink the living water by meditation and faith. It's all about saying people who spend time in God's presence. 
But paradoxically, it's not so that they are the least hungry saints. The opposite is the case. The strongest, most mature Christians I have ever met are the hungriest for God. It might seem that those who eat most would be least hungry, but that's not the way it works with an inexhaustible fountain and an infinite feast and a glorious Lord. When you take your stand on the finished work of God in Christ and begin to drink at the river of life and eat the bread of heaven and know that you have found the end of all your longing. And that really is where we want to, I want to land, is that actually in Christ, he's the end of all our longings. That of all the things available to us in this world, none of them will satisfy us. Now, our appetite, our desire, is not a bad thing, but there's a direction for it. There's a place where it, it will be both satisfied and expanded and grown. Um, and that is only in Jesus, in his presence, which we seek. And fasting and prayer, these opportunities we have to be able to do that. Um, and so I... As I said, though, I know that it's a hard thing. It's a place where we often get to. We believe this stuff, and we go, it's great. But I know tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and find this really hard. And the way that God grows us is by growing that desire for him. Now, we can't just do that. You can't just muster up hunger. You can't just muster up desire. There's something that happens to us. And so it would be great if we could stand. Be happy to stand. Um, and what I want to do is pray for us that we will have a greater desire for God, that the Holy Spirit will work in us, and we'll have a greater desire for God. So again, this is not you saying, I'm going to work harder. This is not you saying, I'm going to make myself do more. This is the Holy Spirit going to come and work in you. So again, it'd be great if you just put your hands out, okay? Um, just to show an openness to God, and, and I'm going to pray this prayer, and it'd be great if you just pray it in your head, and then just we're just going to wait for a bit. Um, Holy Spirit. Come to us now. We know Jesus is the bread of life, that he will satisfy us. Father God, I pray you direct our hearts, that you fill us with a greater hunger for Jesus. Take away all distractions, take away all the other things that we long for, and point us completely, like a compass directly towards Come, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts now. We need you to do this work, Lord. We just say we're weak, we're frail, and we find this hard, but we know that you are strong and that you love us. Come now and work. Just keep waiting, Holy Spirit.